0: Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today.
1: Hi, I'm Scarlett Russell, Entertainment Editor at the Sunday Times Style. You're listening to Secrets of the Side Hustle, the final episode of Series 3. It's been a fantastic series. And before I dive into our last episode, I'd like to thank all of our amazing female founders for taking part and offering their priceless tips and advice. You can listen back to all of series three on the Times radio app or from wherever you normally get your podcasts. My guest today is Alex Stedman, influencer and founder of The Frugality. Alex, who's 37, lives in London with her husband Chris and daughter Peggy and is currently pregnant with her second child. She got her start working in magazines as a stylist and fashion assistant and would write about her struggles with money as well as tips for saving on her personal blog. The blog grew into The Frugality as we know it today, a thriving lifestyle platform amassing hundreds of thousands of subscribers and followers, highlighting affordable products and giving out helpful tips and advice for keeping things fashionable and frugal. I sat down with Alex to get the story behind The Frugality, as well as finding out what it takes to make it as an influencer. Alex, like all of our guests, was full of advice, and I can't wait for you to hear her story. Welcome to Secrets of the Side Hustle. Thank you for ha- for coming in. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. Your last um, episode of our series. So we're finishing off with a bang. Very excited Ooh, to have pressure, you. Pressure. No pressure. <laughs> um, so Alex, I want to talk to you about your blog, about your website, about your Instagram account, all of it, the frugality. So I came across the frugality about two or th- about three years ago and I because you look you were doing up your house in Woodgreen which is quite close to me I'm just in Arnos Grove it was just these beautiful pictures of like renovating your house and all these self these fashion selfies of you and your kind of signature you didn't show your face did you at the beginning it was always, always no. just your outfits and now of course you've your Instagram account which was the frugality is now Alex Stedman and the Frugality is a new Instagram account. Is that right? Yes. You've kind of relaunched.
2: Yeah, it's it's strange. I feel like it's kind of evolved. I mean, I've probably I've been doing it about eight, eight, nine years now. Um, so I started off with just a blog um pre-Instagram. It was just a place because I worked in glossy magazines and I didn't feel that my sort of true life reflected. You know all of these beautiful photo shoots I was styling, and and magazines where I was writing articles about why you need to buy this handbag for two thousand pounds, and the reality was really different for me. My blog was just kind of home recipes and a few things that I found in New Look and style tips and things like that. And then suddenly Instagram, it's just such a different beast, wasn't it? And I just never wanted to really a make it about me or show my face and. And actually pictures without my face did much better on Instagram. So I just kind of kept it a bit kind of a bit more anonymous. But um, but actually I, th- I suppose through Instagram stories you're telling more about yourself and then people connect to the individual much more than the brand. So actually I've felt a shift lately. So now people almost want to see you and hear your story and the personal information behind the brand more so than brand itself Um, so I've managed to split them slightly because a lot of people follow me for home renovations which has been amazing and I've really loved that journey Um, but then obviously some people still follow me for the website and so I've split it up a little bit recently and I I think it's working
1: (laughs) we'll we'll see. Were you just kind of hoping it would just be like an outlet for you to post some pictures did you ever think of it as being a business venture right from the beginning no
2: not at all i never ever thought i would make money from the website i thought it would just be a side thing and maybe if i earn you know a 100 pounds a month on it, it would be a nice little bonus so i mean to actually have a sustainable career from it has been absolutely amazing
1: In 2019, the Young Women's Trust released research showing that over a third of young women struggled to make their money last until the next paycheck. Throughout her styling and magazine career, Alex had her own salary struggles.
2: Um, Well, actually, I started in PR. Um, I worked at matches, again, like super high-end designer, and suddenly I was working in like, you know, the most exclusive neighborhood and, you know, seeing Kate Moss walk by and I just, it was just not my life at all. But wow. um, it was an amazing experience. I, I loved it. Um, and then I went into magazines after that. Um, and then I was made redundant in 2008. Um, I worked at a magazine that closed just after the kind of Lehman, Lehman Brothers crash. And I think oh. that just changes your, I suppose, how you think about money as well because suddenly i was unemployed and, had to, and i had to start again so after four years of working i then applied for another fashion assistant job and i think that's probably why as well i was on like a junior starting salary for so many years of my life because i kind of had so many i started one career and then i started another and then i was made redundant and then started again i was always so paranoid that i was like a 27 year old fashion assistant
1: it's so interesting. I relate to so much of what you just said, because I've always worked in magazines as well. And it's it's quite timely, actually, that your business is evolving now because we're in another recession. It's yeah. kind of 2008 repeated, but actually for print, I mean, magazines, you think there were no jobs back then. There's literally yes. half the amount now. It's terrifying. And, you know, I think a lot of people have this idea that working in a magazine is impossibly glamorous, And sometimes it is, the perks are amazing, but the pay and the hours you work. I remember I asked for a pay rise. I think of like, I think it was
2: like £2,000 and I got a £100 voucher given to me instead. And, you know, obviously I love my job, but there's also this, I think, idea that if you have a job that you love, that you shouldn't necessarily be paid for it, Mm. you know, but, but you've got a great job. So, you know, that's why are you asking for more? And I think it's, you know, now I'm really learning, like you can have a job you love and earn money and not be embarrassed by that and not be ashamed by
1: that. So it was around 2012 that the Frugality launched. It launched as as a blog initially, um, pre-Instagram. And you said that you wanted to change the kind of stigma around money and being broke and this idea that um, being frugal was in some way being cheap or stingy why do you think we have these negative associations with being money savvy I think maybe
2: because we don't talk about it enough and I think that's the thing isn't it it's like shame builds when you don't when you kind of hide around it and don't discuss it I've always been really open with money it's not a big deal for me if you don't just have an open discussion about what your budget is then of course you're going to get annoyed when someone orders a bottle of champagne and expects you all to split the bill I don't know it's, it's really interesting
1: do you feel like the conversation's changing a lot like do you feel it's quite a British thing to be like so many of my friends will, will go out to dinner and the person not drinking won't say anything and then they'll still yeah. split the bill and I'll be like you don't you don't pay more you pay less you didn't drink it's weird how we're not talking about it yeah and I think it's it's really important to see people
2: as well and understand and listen to their different situations and I think I think through social media we are doing that.
1: Alex has amassed almost 300,000 followers across her and the frugality social media channels. I wanted to know how she secured such a large and dedicated following.
2: I mean I still think it's quite crazy really. Um I don't. I don't know. It's been very organic. I mean, I have to say, I haven't grown quickly. I mean, I've been on Instagram pretty much since the beginning, so probably 2013, around that. So it's yeah, it's been a very slow burner actually. Um, but I've got a really amazing community, and they're really engaged. And yeah, I really like doing it. I've slowed down a lot more lately with family and life. And actually, I've kind of put more energy back into my website which I've really enjoyed doing. And I think that's what I've kind of remembered that that's the long form posts. And that's where I really would like to put more of my energy because at the end of the day, you don't own Instagram. They could close tomorrow. They could sell it to someone and they could start charging people. I don't know. Whereas your website for me, it's something that I own. No one can censor any content. No one can take something down or shadow ban or it's my place. And and it's yeah, longer form content so you can really get opinions and ideas out.
1: What do you think is the secret to maintaining a loyal, big, strong following on social media?
2: Um, I think it's definitely authenticity. Um, I'm I'm big on honesty as well. Um, I think it's really it's nice to be transparent and honest. At the same time, I'm also learning much more about boundaries, I think in the past I've been so honest and felt that I owe everyone complete transparency over everything but actually sometimes it's okay to not tell someone you know my baby due date <laughs> or you know and actually I think I I felt I used to have that idea that if someone asked a question it had to be answered honestly but you realize oh actually so some things are private that's okay so I'm learning that but I think Obviously, honesty is good, but authenticity is better. As long as everything you tell someone is from the heart, you mean it. Because then obviously, you know, if you are recommending a product and they try it, you know, it's, it's so important that they feel they haven't been ripped off or lied to. And I, and I think that's a real key point, especially with doing ads.
1: Do you still work as a stylist? Do you still do that? Or is the frugality your be all and end all?
2: So again, I have been doing that up until last year. Um, So I would do styling jobs. Um, So I went freelance in 2015, 16. And I did a few kind of maternity covers and then I do freelance styling. I mean, I suppose the positives about it being a side hustle is that you don't rely on it financially, which I think is obviously the key for most people. Obviously the downside is you have two jobs and, for me, the frugality has always been a full time job as well. It's never been just a su- side hustle in the sense it's just two full time jobs. Um, and that's why I ended up leaving um, my full time job at the time because I was basically doing both at 70%. And I didn't ever want to be that. I always wanted to put 100% into everything. My website, kind of, I could put all my energy into that and it could sustain a career and a salary. So I decided to focus. On that now and actually it's, it's it's wonderful because everything's kind of generated from
1: me and my ideas and yeah it's just so much sort of editorial freedom as well. How did you go about monetizing the website? How did that come about and how did that develop?
2: To be honest it was brands approaching me. I think I didn't even realize how it could be monetized um, in the beginning and I suppose a really important bit of advice that I would give is just always put your content first. And if you just consistently make good content that engages with people and then you have a reader, then the advertisers will come because you've got that first rather than chasing advertisers. I think it's so much more important to chase a concept, a strong vision and a reader. So, yeah, I mean, I suppose the way to monetize a website and Instagram is very similar to magazines, really. It's through advertorials an advert where maybe you will be the voice of the brand because it's through you you're the vessel you can really decide how the ad looks and how you want to speak to your reader Um, you can make it feel much less addy so it is great but then obviously you are the vessel so you have to be very careful about who you work with I have ads on my site but that's doesn't make that much money I mean unless you have millions and millions of Page freeze that doesn't generate lots of money, but it's a bit of a passive income. Um, and then another way is through affiliate links. So if I wear something and I code it and tag it as an affiliate link, so I'll have to convert the link, that will then be tracked. And then every time I sell an item, well I sell, but the brand sells an item, but through my site, I can make a tiny bit of commission. But again, because my blog being the frugality, everything's quite affordable, so I'll make like 12p.
1: The key to making money as an influencer is working with brands. But what platforms do these brands like to use?
2: Definitely Instagram. I have convinced a few brands to work on the website more, um, just because sometimes if it's kind of a bit more of a complex um, item that needs explaining and more imagery. I just think it's much better space, and it, and also it's evergreen. And it's much more searchable. You know, you can't Google, you know, Google. You can't search something on Instagram that easily. I don't think. If you, especially if you're just looking for an image, whereas you can type in exactly what you want on the internet. So I think there's real value in you know website articles, which brands are actually missing out on, and also um, so many people have newsletters that I think you know, they go into someone's inbox and they get read and people subscribe to newsletters as loyal followers. And I think that so many people, again, still just focus on Instagram as that kind of ad revenue place. There are so many more outlets where actually maybe the reader is more engaged.
1: What's the kind of higher end of the money that you could earn though? Because clearly you're making enough now that you don't need to do as much freelancing. So how lucrative can it be? It can
2: be really
1: lucrative, what I would say is often the bigger
2: paid, like bigger paid projects are also mean that you're tied down more though. I actually don't really enjoy retainers weirdly. And a lot of people want to brands want to work for like six months or a year. And that can be big that, you know, that could be kind of 20,000 pounds kind of thing. And, you know, that's more than my salary when I used to work at a magazine, but for that, you have to give them a lot. And I, and also just that constant thought about every month, what am I going to do for that brand? And thinking of ideas every month, thinking of something different, trying to shake it up. Sometimes people see just an ad on Instagram and think, oh, that's all you did. You just took a picture in front of that mirror. <laughs> However, there's so much more you do with brand partnerships. So I've done brand partnerships for, obviously I've done a few Instagrams, but I've also done a blog post. So then we've also put something on the newsletter. And then I've also gone into store and curated and edit. And then I've also taken exclusive, like, you know, 20 exclusive imagery that they can use on their website to use. And then we've also done a Q&A for their website. And then we've also put together, you know, a talk for them. And, and, I, and I think there's a lot more, is a lot more layered. And that's where it's great to kind of really think out the box rather than
1: just doing one Instagram and a few Instagram stories. There's a lot of negativity that comes with, I guess, being an influencer. Can you talk a little bit as to what it's like to be an influencer? Is it all it's cracked up to be? Is it glossy? Is it actually quite hard work? What don't we know about it? What are the good things? I always get embarrassed
2: sometimes. I remember having my hair done with my mum and she was next to me just talking to the hairdresser saying, oh, she's she's an influencer. And I oh, am oh, not inside <laughs> and and the first question generally, from people that don't know me or don't are just kind of, oh, do you get loads of free stuff? And that kind of makes me cringe inside that kind of my only existence is to ask for freebies. I think the term influencer kind of means, yeah, someone that's just hanging around at home waiting for deliveries. But actually, there's so many people that I learn from every day, um, you know, people that are real experts in their field. And I think social media is really setting those people apart at the moment. and I think you've really understood who knows their facts, who does their research, and who is kind of really going the extra mile to provide content. You know, I, I sit and upload and I commission articles and I'm all, all the time thinking about articles that I can do, IGTVs I can do, events, what can I do to really provide free content for people? But I think there's obviously something as well triggering for a lot of people about normal people making money through social media. And obviously, the amazing thing about it is how democratic it is. Um, you know, for magazines generally, you have to do free work experience placements, which means that only a certain type of privileged person can access. And they have to live in London because they have to commute and work late long hours, whereas a blog can be done from your bedroom, from 16, you don't have to have a background in it. You can just have a passion. You don't have to pay to start it up. You don't have any have to have any investment, and you can learn on the job. There's a lot of people with it that grows negativity because they kind of think, "Well, why aren't I doing that?" And I just think, "Well, do it." <laughs> you know, and I think there's nothing stopping most people, and I and I think not enough credit is given to the time and energy that is actually put into creating. Free content. I think people forget it's free. <laughs> it's you don't. I don't ask people to pay for my work or service. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door.
1: With a second baby on the way, I wanted to know what impact motherhood had on Alex and her working life.
2: No one can prepare you for the first child. I think it's so, I mean, I had a lot of challenges and I'm a workaholic. I really, I love my job and I just always thinking I find it really hard to switch off and I write notes at two in the morning and, you know, wake up with a brainwave and I'll email myself and then suddenly to have a baby that's like full time and that's all your energy and, you know, that you're not working anymore. um, I found that identity shift really, really, really hard. Um, Plus as a freelancer, you don't get access to obviously the, Maternity benefits that you would if you were employed. Um, So I think I work with my husband now, and the maternity pay that you can get from the government is like roughly like five hundred and fifty pounds a month. Um, But the husband doesn't get anything. So with us both not working, we had to share five hundred pounds a month, which obviously doesn't quite cover it. Doesn't cover our mortgage. So that was really difficult. So as a freelance I had to kind of still continue earning money to basically pay myself to even be off. So I didn't have, I couldn't completely relax into motherhood because I had to still check my emails and do work. And- but then equally I kind of wasn't working full time and was so frustrated. That I couldn't put any energy into my work and yeah, it was, it was a really, really tough time. I actually gave birth to Peggy a little bit early and I, I had to send a sponsored Instagram post from my hospital bed. It was horrible. It was what? horrible. Oh, because well, I had a contract and I was like, oh, just post this now. It was, yeah, it was, yeah, it was hard. But hopefully we're gonna try and figure it out this time.
1: So you relaunched the frugality last year. I actually think it would be great if you could just tell me in your own words what the frugality is, what it does. Um, it's kind of an affordable lifestyle hub and um, with a few opinion pieces as
2: well. You know, I've worked all my life in a recession and all of my wage every month goes towards, it goes towards my bills, my house and a few treats, but there is like, there's nothing left after payday. And it's just that kind of reality of most people's life. You know, there's always something to pay for. There's always something to save up for. I think it's just empowering women. Um, And then obviously there's fashion pieces, which are a lot of my tips on things to buy, but.
1: Things that were last. Part of this relaunch was that you had so your Instagram account, the Frugality, which had hundreds of thousands of followers, that became Alex Steadman, and the Frugality became a new Instagram account, which still has yes. many thousands of followers. What was the thinking behind that shift? Is one p- more for personal, one for business now? Is that you separating them both?
2: Yes, a little bit. Um, I think I just got to the point where obviously people were following my account that was called the Frugality. And then I'd just be kind of painting, painting my living room. And it was all my opinions and um, because obviously it was my account. Um, and actually I wanted to open up the site to contributors and get different voices in. And I didn't, I didn't want the frugality to be defined by me and I'd love it to be at some point, a standalone website that exists that people just go to for useful articles. Obviously brands are tied to a human aspect, which is nice, but I, I, I like the separation. Um, and sometimes I can just talk about a lovely lipstick I've just been trying on my personal account and it doesn't have to encroach on the frugality content, which is yeah, a real content focused platform.
1: As Alex said, anyone has the potential to become a lifestyle influencer, but if you're considering it, what do you need to know? I think the term lifestyle is
2: really broad. So I think it's really important to remember exactly what part of that lifestyle umbrella you want to work towards. And I think there's really nothing wrong with being niche as well and really understanding and liking like a certain style. People are really drawn to aesthetic based Instagram accounts. You think of it as your shop front. So those first kind of nine pictures are kind of what sums. You up and your cut and like your color palette is really important these days. And don't be afraid to just put out there if there's something crazy that you're really into. You know, I, mean, I and basically, I love everything from Japan and I love stickers as well. And I love um like I used to collect rubber stamps. I'm a real collector. I'm a real kind of quite geeky adult and. And every time it's really interesting. Every time I share, I shared a rubber stamp on Instagram yesterday and the amount of people that were lo- loving it. And I was thinking, God, this is crazy. I'm a 37 year old woman getting excited by a frugality logo, rubber stamp. But I think, you know, don't be scared to be yourself and embrace those silly little quirks because there's always people out there that also embrace that. And I think as long as you're honest and, have integrity I think it really shows and then people really relate to you a lot more
1: were there any mistakes that you kind of made along this journey that you learned from and anything that you would do differently given the chance
2: I mean something that I've definitely learned, learned lately is I mean this this is not necessarily a mistake but I decided from day one that all my contributors that I work with will I will pay everyone which I'm really happy to do, and I really wanted to do that. However, I realised that I have no experience of budgeting whatsoever. (laughs) The first we did a spreadsheet, I think yesterday, on how much I'd spent on contributors, and it blew my mind. I just thought, God, if you told me at the beginning of the year that you, I would have spent that much money, I would have, you know, really scaled it back. Whereas I was kind of more yeah, let's do this. And I was, um, you know, commissioning people left, right and centre because I got really excited about having all these new articles. I haven't actually really got that kind of business acumen of learning how to, you know, move a business along whilst spending money. So I think that's definitely a learning curve. So I think we're going to go back now and really reevaluate, you know, how I do it. You know, but equally at the same time, respecting... The contributors as well because I don't want to just underpay people so maybe I just have to cut back on how many people we work with and just understand that a bit more because I think I just I mean that's the I get excited to um, work with people but actually without that kind of budget framework it's really hard to move on because you know eventually you'll just run out of money
1: and do you find that you're earning more now than you ever did in your full time job on magazines?
2: Yes, got a hundred percent. Not this year, <laughs> not this <laughs> year <laughs> at all. Um, I think I think we we're kind of probably down fifty percent this year from last year, really.
1: If I'm honest, due to due to um Corona.
2: Yeah, yeah, um, and pregnancy, I suppose, a lot of reasons this year. But um, but yeah, Jenny, I. I I mean, it took a while though um, I did when I first left, obviously my styling was probably 80% of my income Um, when I was first freelance and the website was 20 and then it just kind of gradually crept up and then it got to the point where um, my website would earn more money than styling. And I realized if I put more, even more effort into my website, it could become bigger.
1: So that's what I did. Fantastic. Um, So we're coming to the end now, Alex, but actually one last question I wanted to ask you about kind of your relationship with social media. Um, I think it's a really big thing at the moment. Mm. And you talked before about boundaries, which I thought was really interesting, but also that you were a bit of a workaholic. How do you put those boundaries in place where you separate work and family life, but also just like not being on Instagram all the time, even when it's part of your job. I think this is really something that a lot of listeners will be able to relate to, especially if you're looking to use social media as a branding tool and you rely on it.
2: Yeah, it's it's really, really hard and something I have to be honest, I'm not great at. I'm trying to be better. Social media is obviously so useful to figure out basically what people are engaging with, what, you know, it can really give you a lot of answers about content that people want to see. But I mean, with the direct messages on Instagram, I'd get kind of three, 300 a day. And that's on top wow. of comments on social media, which I probably get 500 of those. And then that's on top of my emails and my inbox and Twitter and Facebook. And it is all consuming. You could, I could spend all day just answering people's questions on social media and then you never actually get any meaningful work done. What are you using social media for? Um, and I have to remember that the whole point really is to get people to read my website and you know, engage in some photos occasionally. It's not, it
1: doesn't define me. What she said is the feature where we ask our guests to chime in on a burning career dilemma. Here's Alex's advice for the question. Is it a requirement to look glamorous as a business leader?
2: I would 100% say no. I just think be yourself, wear what you want, do what you want. Saying that, I put makeup on for this podcast, so you know, don't <laughs> listen to me. But yeah, I just think if you want to feel glamorous and look glamorous in natural style, go for it. But I think, especially with being a business leader, you kind of want to lead with... Again, like authenticity, and I think you know you want everyone to feel them that they can be themselves as well. So if you are making yourself look a-, a way that you think that you should be perceived, I think that's kind of already starting on back foot. I mean, I'm always intrigued when I used to watch The Apprentice, and I mean how the women dress there, and they were always they were always on a tight oh. deadline and they were running in these stilettos. I was thinking, just put trainers board on board
1: and Barbies.
2: You'd, yeah. You'd, you'd get there so much quicker and then you would win the task. I mean, <laughs> but then obviously some people love wearing heels and that's them. So just go for it. But I think, I mean, I actually personally hate that culture of having to wear certain things in an office. And, you know, obviously I signed that petition for women not having to wear heels to their workplace and, um, And obviously there are so many rules about that, but I really, I really think those rules are changing.
1: Each guest we spoke to on this series got the chance to set a question for the next guest. It's called Throw Forward. Last week, I sat down with Mix founder, Justina Cruikshank, who set this as our final and very fitting question. I would like to know what piece of advice from a woman... Do you follow regularly in the running of your business?
2: I get asked this question a lot and I actually never, I never remember any, anything at the time. And, um, but I mean, I felt I've got a few pieces of advice, which I always just think, yeah, the, the power of, you know, there's nothing wrong with saying no. And I think that's so important to remember working for myself now because it's my concept. I feel like I could definitely say no a lot more. And that's been really empowering. Um, and I also I like the, um, the phrase, I think someone on social media said it. It was like, there's nothing cool about being busy. We really kind of, as a society, we pride ourselves on being the busiest people ever. We're so busy and that means we're successful. Um, and that means we're doing really well in life. But actually, some days, obviously, I work really hard and I do my website and I think of ideas, but I'm not like super, super, super busy. And I think that's been a really enjoyable part of working. You know, don't necessarily define success with being overworked.
1: My time is almost up. So I want to finish my interview by asking Alex, what is the future of The Frugality? I would
2: love for, yeah, The Frugality to be a kind of a standalone brand, but we shall see. I think times change. I think you have to evolve and kind of go with it. But yeah, I think a few more products, a few more events, doing new things. I think the social media landscape is changing so much. And I think it's kind of moving much more outside of the social media space and kind of more into real life, which I think is wonderful.
1: Oh, Alex, thank you so much again for coming on Secrets of the Side Hustle. It's been an absolute pleasure speaking to you and best of luck with Frugality. I can't wait to see what Comes next great thank you so much for having me thank you bye thank you alex take care Bye. thank you so much to alex for telling me all about her side hustle journey and for being so open and honest about the ups and downs of working as an influencer you can visit her website for tips and advice about fashion city breaks interiors and more at thefrugality.com while on Instagram, just search for The Frugality. And as always, you can also give me a follow too, at Scarlet Rose Russell. That's it for series three. Again, I'd like to say a huge thank you to all of our guests who took part. Don't forget, you can listen back to all episodes via the Times Radio app, or from wherever you normally get your podcasts. Whether you're currently juggling a side hustle or thinking of starting one, Those episodes are packed full of advice. I'm Scarlett Russell, and you've been listening to Secrets of the Side Hustle.